we're going to get started here, First Peter 4, 9. Turn there. What obviously does Peter say? Be hospitable to one another without complaint. And I do want to let you know already that uh, we'll focus some time on what it means to be hospitable. But actually a good portion of it will be, why does he say without complaint? And this is going to be a lesson about complaining um, that just doesn't have to do with hospitality, but just complaining in general. So you can take the last section of the notes and apply it to any number of aspects of life because I think at some point in time all of us complain. So we're going to address that. Now, having said that, you've heard it said before, mi casa es... No, but mi casa es mi casa. (laughs) Or or is it mi casa es... Or either tu casa or su casa, right? Which is it? Which is it? Well, the question is, which should it be? That's why I have it there. See, that's the question for us to ask. Is it really, now you get it now. Is it really my house is my house? Or is it my house is your house? That is the question for the community of faith. And that's in part what Peter is addressing, if you will, that they shouldn't say, my house is my house. My house is, in fact, your house. That's how we should think. And when you look at Scripture, this has been true throughout Scripture. Abraham, um, Genesis 18, he entertained the three that would come to his home. Lot demonstrated it. When the angels came, and one being the angel of the Lord, came in Genesis 19, Rahab opened her home to the spies. And of course, it says of, ah- of Rahab, even she was blessed, and that was an act of faith, you know, by her. The Shunammite woman, 2 Kings 4. You remember Shunammite woman, Elisha passed by, he's preaching, and she says to her husband, I perceive that he's a man of God, um, let us take this upper room so, and make it ready for him so that when he comes by, he can have a place to stay. So all of us in one sense should have a man of God room, if you have the space for it, if you will. And then there are the churches and the apostles constantly going from church to church. That is from house to house, because at that point in time, the houses were the churches. Or at times, people would open their homes to them. It says of the church that they broke bread from house to from house. To house. In Acts chapter 8, 3, Saul persecuted the church. And when he persecuted the church, it says in the Nazareth, actually he was ravaging the church. And he went from house to house doing it. Because they were meeting in the homes and people were gathering in their homes. Acts chapter 10, uh, Peter is with Simon the Tanner. He is staying at his home. Acts chapter 16, the house of Lydia is used. Acts chapter, no, I'm sorry, actually not Acts 16, but 1 Corinthians 16. Um, the church is at the house of Aquila and Prisca. And the other examples as well of people opening their homes. So as far as the New Testament is concerned, and especially the early church is concerned, um, Mikasa es Sukasa. My house is your house. There was no sense that my house is my house. 
People live that way sometimes. My house is my house. It's my property. I've earned it. I've deserved it. I worked hard. And I need my space. And we talk a lot about space nowadays, at least in pop culture, if it will, give me my space. And I don't know if some of you may be, um, you may be old enough to remember um, plastic covering over furniture. <laughs> it's like, who, who did that? And especially, like, I may have offended someone right now, I'm sorry. Um, you know, they think, okay, what do I do with mine now? <laughs> especially growing up in Florida. Can you imagine that in Florida? Right? Come on. <laughs> I mean, you're sticking to it by the time you're over. Oh, my word. But it was all to protect our things, right? Let's protect it. We can't have those people coming over, and now it's not going to look the way that it looked 55 years ago. <laughs> we tend to protect, and that's okay with certain things, obviously. Um, and you have something that's expensive, that's okay that you watch out for it. And, yeah, we even tell our kids, don't jump on the furniture. At least sometimes we do. Uh, those, that's reasonable. But when we look at it, no, our things are really not our things. Because every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. He's given us, the scripture says, the strength to even work so that we can earn, so that we can buy, so that we can have. So when Peter says, um, showing hospitality to one another without, what's that word this morning? Complaint. Now, to let you know where we are, the outline just shows you again, just briefly. There we are in the third point underneath this passage, verses 7 through 11 in First Peter. The eschaton of Christ calls us to a new life. He's coming back again. Therefore, verse 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, pray thoughtfully. Therefore, love fervently. Therefore, share sacrificially. Sharing sacrificially. And I also want to let you know that in this message, although we're talking about hospitality and it does focus on one's house and using it for ministry, this principle is true for anything that you have. So that car that you have, okay, that vacation place that you have, whatever it may be, those tools that you have, anything, any possession ultimately is not your own. It's meant to be used for something greater than just self. It's meant to be used for the community and for the greater cause of Christ. And so as we move through the passage, which we focus again on, yes, this eschaton of Christ calls us to a new life. We see that in verses 7 through 11. And of course, what's been um, motivating all that we have said is verse 7 the end of all things is what? What does it say? Is near. And since it's near, a key word is imminency. He's coming again. Therefore, behave properly and be, um, be about your father's business when the Lord Jesus Christ comes. Peter's experience even with Christ influences his hospitality. We already saw how Peter's experience with Christ influences prayer. We saw how Peter's influence with Christ influences love, and his influence with Christ is also going to influence hospitality, how he views it, because he would be with the Son of Man, 
and he would be there and the Son of Man would say, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. There would be others that would open their homes to Jesus Christ and they would teach. And there's some that would even enthusiastically, you must come to my house. They wanted Jesus Christ there. They wanted to hear the words of life. And it's interesting that those that opened their homes, uh, they would find life and the others that would reject him, they re- at the same time rejected life as well. You remember the story of Jesus Christ as um, he comes upon those that are heavily demon-possessed, and they see the swine that are in the distance, and what do they make a request? That Jesus Christ would send them into the swine, and he sends them into the swine, and what happens? And of course, they go over the cliff, and it says that all of them are dead, and then they go and report it to the people of the town, and the people of the town come back, and they say to Jesus Christ, this is a marvelous thing that you've done. Surely we need to hear more and learn more about your great power. Is that what they said? No, they employed him to do what? Leave. Leave. And with that was the opportunity to hear the words of truth. And most likely with that was their opportunity even for life. So this is important. And I've entitled it here or this heading, Living or Live by um, Living Sacrificially because it's obvious. And I think if we practice this, will help me meet some of the needs of our fellowship, the fellowship of believers, not just here, but just in this church. It's a way for us to strive and support in the work of the local church. And ultimately, in the book of Peter, and ultimately in our Christian life, it is a way for us, if we practice this, that we can emulate the example of Jesus Christ. So we move ahead. First, let's talk about the meaning of the word. We're going to look at the meaning of the word, the need and practice in Asia Minor, and then we're going to, I'm going to give you some practical guidelines before our next point. So, the meaning of the word itself, very interesting um, word, are, are given to strangers, are given to hospitality, and, and form, formed by two words. Uh, one is a, a stranger. That's just what the word is communicating, a stranger or foreigner, foreigner. Now, the first part of the word is something that you'd be familiar with, philos. So philos, esnos, is what's being communicated. So philos, uh, what do you hear when you hear that word philos? You've heard it before, perhaps somewhere, um, to like, or it's a philios, to have a love for, an affectionate love, familial love. So this idea, he's saying, one is likened to or gravitates towards to strangers or foreigners. So it's saying you, you are likened to, you gravitate towards um, opening your home and not just your home, whatever resources that you have. And now when we think about this word hospitality, we often think uh, perhaps first through our culture, and it means, well, they have the gift of hospitality, they have people over every Thursday for dinner. That's a part of it that is much deeper than that. Because as we think about it in context, what people were facing, what those needs were, and the dangers of the church at that time, it was more than just coming over for dinner. It was saying, I need a place of refuge. We need to have the, the church in your home. I'm an itinerant preacher and I'm going into this next place. I may need to lodge here for a week or a month or so. Can you put me up? 
Because if I go to the end, first it was going to be scarce, and then I don't have the resources. Um, because remember, there's persecution that's going on. Um, perhaps the job that I once had, I don't have. And even if I went, and if the person that's over the end realizes that I'm an itinerant preacher of this carpenter from Nazareth, they may not even allow me in. And then if they find out, that may induce even more persecution on me. So I need your home. I can't check in there. So it was more than sometimes what we have thought about it. It was very much necessary for the health and life of the church. So it's this idea that a person is kind towards or likes towards strangers, foreigners to bring them in. That's what's being communicated. And another thing with this word is clearly that it's implying that it's not always someone that you're familiar with. Now, there had to be a trust factor that's involved here in that a Christian shows up and you had to believe that they were genuinely a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's not opening your home for everyone that you know. In one sense, um, it's easy for us to say, hey, come over to Sundays at the Hargroves. Or in one sense, it's easy to say, um, bring your desserts to the Shannons. So we know you, we love you, we care about you, we see you all the time. But it's different when someone knocks at the door. I was told there might be a place for me to put my head down. I'm on the run. Hmm. Uh, See? See how nature just kicked in? See how nature kicked in? On the run from what? How long have you been running? And how long do you plan to run? Maybe you should just keep running. Right? Exactly. It just kicks in, doesn't it? As opposed to the mindset then, brother, what's happening? Tell me your story. I've seen others who've been on the run. Sit down and tell me about it. Warm yourself. Be filled. So it was necessary. The need and practice in Asia Mountain is necessary because, remember, they're being persecuted. And they don't have the resources that they once had, if they even had them then. And so we have to take that into account. It's something under this idea of the need and practice in Asia Minor. We say this as well. It's commanded by Christ and the author of Hebrews. Look with me, Matthew 25. You see it there, Matthew 25. Matthew 25 and then 35 says what? Verse 34 says, Then the king will say to those, It is right, come, you are blessed in my father, inherit the kingdom of God, prepare for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. Now, you need to understand the connection to verse 34. You can't divorce it from that. Some are going to inherit the kingdom of God, prepare before the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Stranger, foreigner. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. So Jesus Christ is saying a demonstration of this virtue is actually a demonstration of Christianity. In what way? Because at this time... 
for someone to open their home in that way is to say that I have declared my faithfulness to Jesus Christ as well. As he's speaking about what I believe would be the end times, the time of tribulation. Now, for me to open my home to someone at that time means that I am committed to Christ as well. And I'm participating with that. And I'm willing to be persecuted. And I'm willing to lose my life for Christ. So strangers that are in need, he says, our home should be open to them. Look at Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13, and then um, notice how the chapter begins. Let the love of brethren continue. Now, what did, we, what did verse 8 and First Peter tell us? Fervently love one another from the heart. And here, let the love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. And here's a great sort of... Um, Reward that maybe some of us have experienced and not even known it. For by this, some have entertained what? Angels without, without knowing it. Isn't that? And you think, well, is that really what the writer of Hebrews meant? Um, <clears throat> was it some sort of hyperbolic statement just to say that this is a possibility? No, it, it, it's a reality. Because we saw it even in the Genesis accounts. That's exactly what happened. Angels that it visited, and it's saying even for us today, an angel can in some way be amongst us. Oh, boy. Wait a minute. What about cessationism? Doesn't it say that that's gone? No, it doesn't. Not at all. So visitation. So look with me. Here's something else to consider. So it's obvious it's commanded by Christ, the author of Hebrews. Number three, it would be this. It was necessary for believers that are traveling. I've said it uh, in different ways, but let's just look at some examples. Look with me to Acts chapter 5. Acts 5. Acts 5 and 6. Actually, turn with me. To go to Acts 21. Acts 21, 16. After these days, we got up and started out our way up to Jerusalem. And as some of the disciples from Caesarea also came with us, taking us to Manson of Cyprus, a disciple of long standing in whom we were to lodge. So in the preaching of the gospel, just one of many examples of going, preaching the gospel, and now it's set up that they would have a place to stay. Look back with me at um, Romans, or look over to Romans, Romans 12. And we can say that hospitality is necessary because it helps, obviously, neat um, Meet the needs of the body. Romans chapter 12. Romans 12. um, It says here, verse 12, verse 12, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted in prayer, contributing to the needs of the saint, practicing 
hospitality. So be devoted. But notice verse 10 again, the connection again with love. Verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Then verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Then give preference, he says, um, fervent in spirit, serving, rejoicing, and then showing hospitality again. So open your homes to others that you may not be familiar with, but yet there's a real need because of the context in which we live. Now, this as well, it's so important to the Christian faith, it's a qualification for leadership. Turn with me to um, 1 Timothy 3. 1 Timothy 3. Verse 2. It's a qualification for leadership. You say, well, is it that important? It obviously is because it is a testimony of one's humility and recognizing that all that we have comes from the Lord. 1 Timothy 3 2, trustworthy statement. The man who aspires to overseer, a fine work, above reproach, husband of one wife, temperate, prudent respectable, and then what? Hospitable. Hospitable. So a a preacher in their home, what's interesting to me, even in my former church, um, and sometimes cultures are different um, in how one's home is used or not, but I remember my former church, and this was not because so much culture, but um, just the experience of so many people in their church life when people came to our home, there was this sense that we'd invite someone over. Hey, won't you come over? Are we going to have everyone over as much as you, many of you can come? And it was this sense of reluctancy because it was like, okay, is there something he's going to ask me? And there were people that I'd invite them over and I could noticeably see that they were a bit nervous when they came and they'd sit down and they sort of, they'd be a bit fidgety and just be at ease. And it's like, well, you is there something that you sort of want? No, I just want you to relax, really. And I'm not kidding you. And Joanna can attest to it. And it was like, I just have never been in a pastor's home before. It's like, wow. What do you mean? Once you're at that church or here or there. Now, sometimes it's not the pastor's fault. It's the person's fault because they don't avail themselves of it. But there are times when... A preacher can live distant from the people that he's ministering to. And I don't think it should be that way. Now here in Acts and in in the early church, it was more the opposite. The preachers didn't have very much at all. And they needed a place to stay. But we all need to realize that our homes, our resources are not our own. It's a qualification for leadership. But look at. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 10. Even when it comes to the widow and those that are the widow indeed and the widow being cared for by the church, she needs to have a certain reputation and a part of that reputation is what? It says in verse 10, having a reputation for good works and that she has brought up children, okay, and if she has shown hospitality to this, to whom? To strangers, She's shown hospitality to strangers. Now, if that woman has that reputation and she's been faithful to the church, then she's a widow indeed, and you can put her on the list, which essentially says, then take care of her when her time of need comes. Yes. Look with me, interesting enough, to 3 John. 3 John. 
skip by it in a heartbeat there. Third John 3, verse 5, we can also say that showing hospitality is an indication of faithfulness. So it meets needs, it's a qualification for leadership, and it's an indication of faithfulness. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when there are strangers. Now, what's implied here is this is an act. A sign of your faithfulness is when you have reached out, you've been open to those outside of us, and you bring them in. A sign of faithfulness. Some, just quickly, some practical guidelines. Um, and I would say this. Yes, open the home, have an open home, strangers come your way, but don't ever put yourself, I think, in a situation for temptation or discrediting. That is, there have been times when, say for instance, a woman has asked me, she's an older woman, she says, well, I'd like to open my home to this person, and he's, he's a male. And I'm thinking, okay, is he like 20s? Um, or even then, um, there's some question about whether or not you should do that. And at times my advice has been, no, I don't think you should. I don't think you should open your home in that situation. Let's see if we can find him some other place as opposed to them being in your home. Okay? And especially if it were someone that's peer-to-peer, someone has a home, say, for instance, they're a single guy. And I knew a guy once. I stayed with him when I was in seminary way back for about two years, single guy, um, big place, um, not seeing anyone, nothing like that. And he said, hey, you want to come stay with me, um, help you out as a seminarian? And I did for about two years. But that same single guy, big place, and there's a young lady who needs a stay, place to stay because she's going to the master's university. Of course not. Yeah, it's discrediting. Temptation, possibilities, how people may view it. Well, doesn't the Bible say show hospitality? In fact, does, but all things must be done orderly and with a sense of wisdom uh, that is going to set some parameters for it as well. So be careful in that. Um, and I would say this, um, and it's, pretty, it's a pretty blunt statement, uh, don't be fooled by con artists. You say, why would I mention something like that? Guess what? Can a church have con artists? Uh, you can say amen. <laughs> they can. We've had them here. And we probably have some today on this campus. This is a large campus. There are thousands of people here. And sometimes not everyone comes to Grace Community Church because they want to worship the living God. They don't always come because they want Bible exposition. Sometimes people come to this place because they see resources. Don't be naive. And that's why you have elders that watch over. That's why you have deacons that are eyeing things. That's why you have people that are observing and looking. And myself, I'm always looking around and listening and hearing. I was in a conversation with someone just the other day. I said, you know, a part of what I observe, and it was a ministry we have together. I see things, and, and I wish sometimes I could turn it off. A part of it is in the DNA, I think, and even playing sports as a linebacker. It was part of my position was always looking, observing, even the smallest of things. And I'm always looking, observing, and I look around and see people. I like the times when I come up to a young couple and say, oh, you guys are a number now, huh? 
Well, we didn't make an announcement. You didn't have to make an announcement. I see how she looks at you when you're talking after church, right? I see it. When did you see it? When you guys were like over there by that corner, I saw it all. Really? How did you do that? Now, don't, the question is that, is it true? Let me give you this exactly what happened. And I'll tell him what happened and how she looked. This is, wow, that's weird. <laughs> I'm looking all the time, observing. But it's not just things like that. I'm looking and says, man, they seem sad today. They're generally not that way. I wonder what's wrong. And I just saw those two ladies talking at times in the hallway. And I saw one wiping a tear from their eyes. I wonder what's happening. At times I followed up, is everything okay? So the elders are watching out for you. And it means we're also realizing that the con people in our midst. And so don't think that somehow if you ever refuse someone your home... Because the elders have told you and leaders have told you, no, be leery of that person that you're violating this text. Which says fervent love, should not strain myself to love them, should not open up my home despite that. No, because then you become an enabler. Remember what Peter is talking about, of people with genuine needs. They're on the run for their life. They're being persecuted. They don't have the resources to go to the end. There is no building for them to have a church, so it has to be in their home. This is what Peter's addressing. So be careful of that. So some guidelines for you for your consideration. We remember this. So but let's go back to first Peter four nine. First Peter four nine. Be hospitable to one another. What does it say? Without complaint. Complaint. So it's, I think it's pretty straightforward what hospitality means. Are there some circumstances that maybe you should ask someone about before you think about showing hospitality? I, I believe there are. It's first addressed in the sense of your attitude towards it. Are you, do you like towards it? Do you gravitate towards it? Um, but now it says without complaint. So you say, wait a minute, isn't this a church that's been persecuted and surely they've come together and there's unity there? Well, wrong reason he says that we need to love fervently is because there's a potential that we cannot fight a battle that's outside and inside. So if we don't love, we can be splintered within. But also he is saying, yes, show hospitality, but he also realizes practically it may grow old. We've been meeting here for so long, and I didn't have this vision for my place to be like this. Or it's taxing my resources, it's taxing my energy. So he says, yes, you can do it, but if you do it with complaint, obviously you're going to lose a reward. You're going to lose the blessing of using those resources for the glory of God. So without complaint, there's a qualifier it's here. So let me just be straightforward with you. Um, why complaining is not acceptable. Okay, this is where we're going to end here. Why complaining is not acceptable. Number one, here, don't be found complaining in view of the Lord's return. It's not acceptable because we're living our lives in view of Christ's return 
and we should live accordingly. I've been saying that week after week after week, and it cannot be said enough. So if I am found complaining, that's obviously a state that we would never want. But it is a possibility if they continue in their complaining. Now, what were the specific complaints? No one knows. How can we know? But we can think about practically what it might be. Like I said, just the sense of you think it's longer than you may have thought. Resources are being tapped. All the energy that's involved in hosting someone or even the church in your home or bringing in strangers, the inconvenience of it. It's not as if you could have hours. You know, it's not when we go and make a reservation at a hotel and you say, well, check out time is, you know, 12 and check in is 4 p.m. Someone shows up at 11 at night. Someone shows up at midnight. And someone says, I need to go right away. It's two in the morning. And then they leave. So who knows what those complaints may have been. It's just a matter that it was happening. And so Peter has to say, if you're going to love Love fervently, show hospitality, but make sure you do it without complaint. Number two, don't be found complaining in view of the call to fervent love. This is a demonstration of one's love towards the body of Christ. There are a number of things that we can do in life, but we do them and we still complain. That is, if even if it's one of our Bible studies and those that host them, And it's a joy for those that I know host our Bible studies. And and there have been people even recently when uh, we were looking at a home for Van Nuys. It was like they just really, really wanted to do it. And she's a great host for the study. I can't imagine her after everyone's gone like, oh, I'm glad that's over again. No, not at all. But it's what a joy. This is great. This, This is great to have people over. It's great to hear those sounds. Like when you go to <coughs> the Shannons and everyone's there, it's great to hear those sounds. At our place, it's great to hear those sounds. But even greater, perhaps, it might be when people are over and you know that they're facing some tragedy. And this is going to be a respite for them in this stage in life. Show fervent love. Number three, don't complain because it emulates the worldview of the former life. See, the former life was all narcissistic. It was all about my pleasures, my desires, my fulfillments. And now, which is, of course, verses 3 and 4, which has been put aside, has been put away. But now I live for a different principle, a different worldview that says it is no longer I. I'm thinking about how do I serve others first, emulating the example of Jesus Christ. Then number four is this. Don't complain because it is an indication of being discontent or of discontentment. Philippians 4.11. Let's just go through some of these verses together. Look with me at Philippians. Philippians 4.11. He says, not that I seek from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I have. Contentment. Look with me at First um, Timothy. First Timothy, if you will. First Timothy six. First Timothy six. But godliness actually is a great means of gain when accompanied by contentment. The same thought is in verse eight. If you have food and covering with these, you shall be content. 
And I know society is one that teaches us that we have to have more. I was just in a discussion with one of my kids about money and the use of money and, um, and how we need to put things aside and the principles that are involved in it. Um, you know, the use of credit cards, the use of, um, you know, the debit card. And now that you can have it on your smartphone, it's so easy just to spend it and then it's gone. And I talked about detail that's involved in it. So I pulled out for um, this child of mine. I said, look, this is what it means about detail. Because we were talking about the principle from Proverbs, know the state of your flocks. And they said, what does that mean in principle? Well, you need to know what's happening with them and what's their condition. And I pulled out the statement from Visa and American Express. And one of them was like nine pages. Because I like use it for business and everything as well. I said, look, I spent like this month because of business and these trips and Grace Advance teams, like it was like $17,000. And I'm going through it. And I said, I've got to discern between what's business and what's not. Here's gas. Here's food. Here's I don't know what it is. This is when my wife charged something. <laughs> we got to talk. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Right? <laughs> And we have those talks like, what? Like, what is this? You know? Okay, I get it. That's right. We did agree on that. So I said, here it is. In American Express, here is the travel here. And I showed it to him. That's detail. You can't just say, oh, that's my statement. I'll pay it off. And I said, look, here. And the principle that I was sharing with him is we have so much. But even some of this, do we even need it? He says, food and covering, be content with it. And so when we're complaining, we're obviously not being what? Content. Content. Same thing. Here's number five. Don't complain because it's an indication that you have forgotten stewardship. You've forgotten stewardship. What do you mean by forgotten stewardship? Matthew chapter 6. What does it tell us we're supposed to do with our money? Uh, Where do we make the investments? We place it somewhere that heaven, and what doesn't destroy it there in heaven? Wrath and rust cannot destroy. So it says, where your treasures are, what will be there? Oh, there's that word again, heart. There will be your heart. So make the investments there. And of course, beautifully stated in Luke chapter 16, verse 9, it tells us we're supposed to be making friends with the resources of this earth. Friends who will receive us into eternal dwellings. So what is Luke communicating there? Make your investment in things that are eternal. Be content with what's here. Then he says, don't forget stewardship, which means stewardship. And if you apply it to your home and all your resources, I'm just a steward of this home. Yes, granted, my name is on the mortgage, and I have to write that check for that principal and interest every month. And sometimes it may be painful, but nonetheless, I'm just a steward. That's all. Because God gave me the strength even to have the mortgage. It's not mine. Imagine the ministry that you might have to people that you can bring in and share your resources with, where you can encourage them in the faith, that they're stronger to move ahead. So use them for God's glory. Number six is this. Don't complain because it's an indication that you're not demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, self-control. 
So complaint, one reason that someone complains often is because of lack of patience. So complaining, no. Number seven, it's the final one. Don't complain because it's an indication that you have forgotten, you have forgotten the inestimable, what, grace of God. Now, this is a text that you may not have thought about. Lamentations 3.39, what are you talking about? Look with me at Lamentations. Okay, is that my marker? The time is up there? Almost there. Lamentations 3 and 39. And it says here, Who, why should any living mortal, actually, let's go back a couple of verses that will help you a little bit. Um, verse 31. For the Lord will not reject forever, for if he causes grief, then he will give compassion according to his abundant love and kindness. Yes, God has stricken us. He's going to, he has caused grief, but yet he's going to bring compassion. His loving kindness will, in, in some sense, kick in, if you will. For he does not afflict willfully or grieve the sons of men to crush under his feet all the prisons of the land, to deprive a man of justice in the presence of the Most High, to defraud a man in his lawsuit. Of these things the Lord does not approve. Who is there who speaks and it comes to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? It is not from the mouth of the Most High that good, I'm sorry, is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both good and ill go forth? Verse 39, why should any living mortal or any man offer complaint in view of his sins? Interesting verse, isn't it? So I thought, okay, how do you bring this thought back? Show hospitality, all that we have is the Lord's. I think about God's great grace towards me, and that should have an impact on everything that I do. Every decision that I make, God has been gracious to me, allow me to be gracious to others. And again, when he says in verse 39, who can offer complaint in view of his sins? Who can complain about the circumstance that you find yourselves? Who can make any uh, cry of injustice in lieu of your sin? Who can say that this is not, this is wrong, that we are undergoing this persecution? No one can complain in view of their own sins when they look at themselves. Now you, when you think about my graciousness towards you, you should say, oh my, thank you, Lord. You've been so gracious to me. A final thought, and it's this. Emulating the example of Christ. I mean, every call that we have to live some kind of virtuous or to live virtuously, we have to go back to the theme of what is being communicated in Peter, how we follow the example of Christ. And one thing that perhaps should come to mind when we think about showing hospitality is this. The greatest example of hospitality is the Lord himself, is it not? Because what did the Lord say? In my Father's house are what? Many rooms. Many. That's the ultimate expression of it. 
And so perhaps we should all think that in view of that, the spiritual home that we have, now that we have access to, that this physical home that we have is just a symbol of that. And let me open others to it and share it with them. Amen. Father, we thank you for your goodness, mercy, and pray that we can practice this in our lives. Amen.